This month on episode 18 of the Global Credit Union Podcast. There's a lot of inequality throughout the world with respect to different countries and what they offer. And even within, you know, different countries, uh, what services are available to smaller and medium-sized institutions compared to the larger institutions. So yeah, you know, some small institutions are still at a competitive disadvantage because they're not able to access all these services in a fair way or at a price point that, that they can afford. That's Stephen Rick, chief economist for CUNA Mutual Group. He joins me today to discuss World Council of Credit Unions 2021 statistical report. This year's version of our annual breakdown of global credit union data is the most extensive to date, along with providing traditional statistics on things like credit union members, assets, savings and loans. The 2021 statistical report also features first time data sets on credit union strategic priorities, risk concerns, access to various products and services, and even the tax status of credit unions by region. And along with Stephen Rick, my colleague Dalia Mahiar will also join me on this month's episode. In her role as World Council's Monitoring, Evaluation, and Learning Program Manager, Dalia helped us take all the data sent to us by national credit union associations around the world and put it into a user-friendly format. I'll talk with both Stephen and Dalia about some trends we spotted and what data surprised us. I'm Greg Newman, Director of Communications for World Council of Credit Unions. Our conversation on the 2021 Statistical Report is up next on the Global Credit Union Podcast. Welcome back. I am joined now by Dalia Mehiar. She is the Monitoring, Evaluation, and Learning Program Manager at World Council of Credit Unions, and she helped us put together all of this data into an understandable format for an international audience. Dalia, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So our movement's growing. Uh, I guess that's the that's the big story off the top. Uh, we see it year to year, but once again this year, it's up five uh, percent in membership growth across the world. Um, 9% asset growth and even the number of credit unions themselves up this year which we don't we don't always see but uh, good news all the way around for the global credit union movement in that regard. Right, it's really great to see uh the numbers keep going up and I think by having this uh opportunity to do a statistical survey each year it's really a good exercise for us to keep track of the growth. Yeah, and we're almost at 400 million members worldwide now, which um, I think was probably something that we thought we might not see for quite a long time just a few years ago. So that is also great to see. But we went above and beyond. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this deep dive on the podcast was because you and I worked together uh, with, uh, I have to give a shout out to our statistical research intern who who did a lot of the technical things to help us get these into, into spreadsheets and tables that we could look at and say, okay, here's here's some of the things we're noticing. But Nanre Gong, who was a, a great intern for us this summer, helped us do that. We, we've compiled a lot of data we haven't looked at before. Um, and I know that some of the things surprised me, some of the things jumped out at you. I guess I'll ask you first, what were some of the things that you looked at in this in this extra data that really kind of jumped out at you? I really like that this time around, we added questions to ask the credit union members, what are their top priorities and what are their top risks that they see um, in the past year? And to see regulatory reform remains um, 
a top of mind issue, both on the just uh, as a strategic priority side, but also came up as a risk for credit unions. Um, and, and that was really consistent with what we see in our work here at World Council of Credit Unions. So this year or the, in the past year, 51% of the respondents ranked um, this as their top three priority or one of their top three priorities. And then 30% ranked it as the top priority. Right, um, right. Yeah, and I think that is very consistent with um, the advocacy efforts that we see at World Council, where we're focused on this work to make sure that we're easing the compliance burden for credit unions, making sure that there is a proportional compliance that they're um, uh, subscribed to. And I think as much as we see progress in, in this area, it, it is still something that is um, a challenge globally. Certainly. And I, you know, if you look at the areas of the world where I think the credit union associations are most concerned about this, North America, and I think that goes for both Canada and the United States, both have huge concerns about regulation in, in those countries. But the Caribbean, Europe, Africa, at least from, you know, Caribbean, 80 percent, Africa, 40 percent. So so you've got four regions there that 40 percent or more of the associations are saying this is a huge priority for us to make sure that we have regulatory reform in our country. And then 40 percent worldwide and half of the respondents in North America and Europe are listing it as a as a concern at the same time as an area of risk. So that kind of goes hand in hand when you look at the areas most wanting reform with most wanting uh, most identifying regulation as as a risk. So that's why it's a risk because they don't have yet the reforms that they're looking for. So, yeah, right. I agree that that that's really um, it's consistent with what we hear anecdotally, but it's great to have that data in front of us and and to be able to say, okay, well, here's, you know, it's it's really a concern everywhere, but these these are the areas that really identify at the highest. Um, you know, on that same in that same vein when we're talking about priorities and risks kind of going hand in hand, I kind of look at the digitalization aspect where, you know, far and away the top priority if you're going to look at it from a worldwide standpoint, was growing digitalization. And 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 that means adopting more technologies where credit unions can offer members, uh, you know, easier ways to to bank, to make payments, to, um, you know, to be able to do things from their phone, um, from a mobile wallet and things like that. But a lot of countries uh, also identify that as a risk because anytime you're investing in technology and you're rolling out a new product, I, I Anecdotally, the, I was talking to somebody yesterday from a Caribbean country saying, well, we're rolling out this mobile wallet and we're getting a lot of pushback. Um, mm -hmm. And I think so I think you're kind of seeing that where they know that if they want to grow the movement, they have to invest in digitalization. But they know that it's a risk because a people who are longtime members might not be used to it. And then um, there's a cost associated with that. And there's an unknown learning curve associated with that. And, and I'm sure that with the projects we work on, I know that that tech is a big issue. And you I know you've seen that as well in, in some of the projects we've worked on. Absolutely. I think um, in addition to just the world moving towards digitization with this COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen the members really push for 
um, the service as a need. And so it's become more and more a priority for credit unions um, to be able to serve their members in the way that they want and that they need. Um, I do agree that it can seem overwhelming for credit unions to start this journey um, and to really adopt digital technology. And it can mean different things um, for different credit unions. And um, I do think that we're starting to see through our projects um, and otherwise that credit unions are able to start identifying solutions that are more agile, that are more flexible, that don't necessarily require them to complete um, to the end before they start seeing results that they can actually take into consideration the time, the, the cost, and um, how fast they can start seeing results where they're kind of building on top of their systems rather than uh, trying to create change all at once. It's more incremental and um, it's really encouraging to start seeing these types of pilots. Yeah, pilots in a lot of places that we've started them, pilots in places that other credit union or um, credit union associations or credit unions themselves have have taken it upon themselves, maybe with a partner to to try different things. We've seen that uh, some fintechs are starting to do that as well with credit unions and, and small microfinance institutions around the world. So obviously that's going to continue. Um, you know, another thing that really jumped out at me, and I think probably for a lot of people who are um, either in the West or in, in, in Europe, but maybe not every, everywhere in Europe, as we're going to discuss, is some of the disparities that that this report shows when it comes to access to different products, different services. Um, you know, when I look at that section on things like payment system access, uh, correspondent banking access, um, you know, deposit insurance guarantees. I think a lot of us in the U.S. in the North American space probably look at that and think, well, that's just a, a no-brainer that that you've got that, that you have all of access to all of those things. And that's really not the case. I mean, North America, Australia, um, yes, uh, when it comes to things like uh, correspondent banking, when it th comes to things like payment access, payment system access or deposit guarantee funds, Certainly that's available to all credit unions, but boy, do those numbers drop off when you go into places, even like Latin America and Europe, which which you think of as pretty advanced when it comes to their some of their credit union systems, but they don't they still don't have that access. Right, exactly. And the same uh, trend I think we can see when we're looking at the credit unions that are offering debit cards and credit cards around the world. Again, um, at least based on the statistical report, it seems like more credit unions are able to offer debit cards than credit cards around the world, but that overall it is still um, not as fast, uh, particularly in Asia, Africa, and Europe, it's still not um, as advanced, uh, the ability to offer these services it is, as it is other places in the world. So. It is interesting to be able to look at these trends and start thinking of why that is and what are the factors that make a service easier to provide somewhere in the world um, versus other places. Yeah, uh, just just a lot of fascinating stuff to come out of this. So I want to ask you, as, as someone who not only is a woman, but has worked on a number of our projects that are related to gender, um, 
you know, with credit unions themselves, this report showing once again, this is the second year in a row now we've looked, taken a look at gender. We got a little bit better response rate this time. So I think some of the numbers probably um, each year we do this, they're going to get more and more accurate. But once again, we see that women are kind of behind the curve when it comes to representation, both when it comes to CEOs of credit unions and when it comes to um, the percentage of, of credit union associations that have them as board members. I think that gender is an area that we're all trying to do better at in terms of increasing representation and increasing um, inclusion. And I think for the credit union movement that is really focused on inclusion um, and equity, it is really important to keep pushing to see more progress in this area. And I think we have seen some progress, but it's not as fast um, and as deep as we'd like to see. And I think that by continuing to push collection of this data, um, we really force ourselves and our members to face it and to do something about it. Um, by tracking this information, we are able to identify the gaps and use our use the evidence that we see to make a difference. And I think that even though a lot of credit unions are moving now towards collecting more gender data, we still see gaps in using this data and in including it in analysis and in including it in the annual reports, whether that's um, externally, the reports that are shared externally, or even internally when um, board members and, and other leaders are making decisions uh, regarding their strategy. Um, I think that it's, it's really important to um, use this data in order to be able to make a difference in this topic. And it does seem like credit union membership by gender is a little bit more even, obviously, than what we're seeing in the boardroom or at the CEO level. But still, as you mentioned, if they're not looking at this data and what if there's if there's products or services, I mean, we've seen in some of our projects, I'm thinking about Senegal, where sure, there were a lot of women who are credit union members, but they weren't being served in the same way that men were being served with products and services like loans for small businesses and things. So this information is important even when it comes to the members, isn't it? Right. I think it's really important to look at the members in, and the different experiences that they have. And gender is one way that members have different experiences, right? And even within women, uh, as as a as a group, there are so many different segments and so many different experiences um, that I think credit unions and any organization, any business that's trying to serve their clients need to consider and look into in order to tailor their products and services to these needs. Well, Dahlia, uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your help, uh, not only today, but with uh, organizing all this information <laughs> to help me get it into to a format that was understandable for everyone. And, um, and I hope to, uh, that we can work on it again next year. Thank you so much. It was really a good experience and really fascinating to see all of the trends. Um, and I hope that 
our members and um, our network continue to respond to these surveys to help us increase this learning. All right, Dalia Mahiar, she is the Monitoring, Evaluation and Learning Program Manager at World Council of Credit Unions. Up next, Stephen Rick, Chief Economist for CUNA Mutual Group, will join me to talk about some of the trends he spotted. Welcome back. I'm joined now by Stephen Rick. He is the Chief Economist for CUNA Mutual Group. A lot of you are familiar with CUNA Mutual, but if you're not, they are the largest international provider of insurance and retirement services to credit unions around the world. Stephen, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Greg. I'm glad to be here. Well, I want to ask you, you know, this report just came out. Um, we've, we've put a lot of effort into it. There's a lot of data in this that that is is being uh, shown for the first time to the international credit community. Um, and each year, I think that we try to do this. We want to make sure that the data is more complete. Just looking at it and looking at the numbers, you know, obviously almost 400 million members now, 3.48 trillion in assets, and, and there's a lot of other data in there as well. Based on the research that you do, the trends that you see, is there anything specific that jumped out at you that's either important or surprising? Well, you know, what's good is that we start, we are still seeing very strong membership growth throughout the world. So credit unions are still very relevant. A lot of people are joining credit unions, especially in today's volatile economics uh, uh, scenarios where a lot of people are worried about what's going to happen with the economy coming up, with some of the highest inflation we've seen, not only here in the United States, but around the world with prices rising, you know, with energy prices, food prices, uh, with the war in the Ukraine, you know, there's just so much going on right now that credits are actually more relevant today to kind of help build financial security for membership around the world um, that uh, we are seeing a lot of people kind of voting with their feet and joining credit unions and you know, voting with their pocketbook and you know, um, getting loans at credit unions and, and depositing funds at credit unions. So it's a really good time for credit unions um, and actually to gain in the market share of the financial community. You know, to make sure that continues, we hear a lot from pundits who will say, well, credit unions, you know, they're behind the times. They're not they're not meeting members where they are enough. They're not going digital. And we see around the world that digitalization, you know, the, the 40 or so credit unions that answered some of the extended data questions that we put out there, you know, 81% of them say that's their priority, digitalization. And then they also say the technology that goes along with that is risky. Do you see it as essential as well to make sure that growth continues, that they do offer more of these digital platforms and services? Yeah, we use the phrase table stakes, that just to get into the game, and to have your table stakes that you're anteing up during the poker game, you basically got to have a very good digital presence. Got digital presence. Have to have that mobile banking. Have to have that great online apps where people can come in and apply for a loan online, make deposits online, do mobile banking. Yeah, I mean, basically, people expect that today, especially the younger generation who've grown up with phones and apps and all that. They expect that their financial institution will be able to be. Uh, contacted at any time throughout the day, tra made transactions made any time throughout the day. And so, yeah, it really is going to be kind of the minimum standard going forward. And so we're seeing a lot of credit unions, of course, investing it, though. More and more credit unions are dedicating a lot of their, you know, uh, each year's their business initiatives are for digitalization and basically meeting the competition head on. All those financial tech companies 
who are trying to coming out of say Silicon Valley, trying to uh, you know come into our business, which is you know financial services business. In order to compete with them, we basically have to be fast followers, if you will. And when these new technologies come up, we have to invest in them and adopt them very quickly to remain competitive. You know, access is something that I think those of us in the United States and other countries in the, in the Western world maybe take for granted, but we see in this, in the data that we receive that access is not equal. And, and, and even to things that maybe most credit union professionals in certain parts of the world would think would be like access to payment services, access to correspondent banking. Did any of that surprise you that in some of the world, even in Europe, that those services aren't available? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, there's a lot of inequality throughout the world with respect to different countries and what they offer. And even within, you know, different countries, uh, what services are available to smaller and medium sized institutions compared to the larger institutions. So, yeah, you know, some small institutions are still at a competitive disadvantage because they're not able to access all these services in a fair way or at a price point that, that they can afford. And so, yeah, I mean, we've always had that. Uh, we've always been working to level the playing field so smaller credit unions can actually have a good fighting chance, if you will, in the competitive marketplace to serve their members in a very competitive and, and cost-efficient manner. Youth is something that um, we hear all the time as well. It comes to, when it comes to how do you grow the movement, you have to have more digital to attract the youth because the average credit union member is old. And, and we saw in this survey, 71% worldwide credit union associations put their members in that age range of 45 to 64, only about 29% say their average age is 31 to 44. And, and, and that's, we're still not talking about that Gen Z audience. So it is offering digital the key to growing those younger members? Or, or do you also see trends that point to other things that, that are going to be key to making sure that credit unions can, can attract young membership? Yeah, I would say that digitalization is the number one thing. Um, with basically, you go to any country in the world, even some of the poorest countries around the world, and you see people with their iPhone uh, con conducting transactions, uh, doing savings, doing borrowings. And yeah, you have to have that today, um, or otherwise you just can't get that younger Gen Z borrower, which as you know, we get, you got to get them when they're young, when they're in their borrowing uh, stage of life. And as they get older, they pay off their debts and take on more savings products. And that, of course, will help subsidize those loans for the younger, for the younger members. But yeah, I mean, it basically is you have to have digitalization today. The top risk concern for credit union associations around the world, 60% said global economic uncertainty. Can you speak to that and why there is such trepidation in the credit union market? Um, you know, what, what's taking place not only here in the United States and around the world is, you know, I like to kind of call this the, the, the Charles Dickens economy, uh, where you have the best of times and the worst of times. If you remember, that's the famous line from his book, A Tale of Two Cities from uh, the very famous author, Charles Dickens. And basically, like I said, there's so much going on right now with the labor markets and inflation uh, that uh, people looking at their credit union in order to help them uh, get through these volatile times of some of the highest price increases we've seen in 40 years uh, with inflation currently running here in the United States at around you know 8.2%, but it's even worse in parts of Europe and England, Germany and places like that. Um, and so how are people going to manage their finances going forward? Uh, we're seeing loan growth 
uh, not only here in, the, here in the United States, but around the world at some of the fastest we've seen since um, 1985. I actually looked at the data. Uh, we're seeing loan growth right now here in the United States at around over 17% loan growth. Uh, year over year, our loan balances are increasing. And uh, like I said, I, we haven't seen that since 1985. And part of that is just due to inflation, that everything costs more. So we have to make larger loans uh, to when people buy a car or a house or things like that. And so we're seeing some remarkable numbers uh, taking place in credit unions because of what we're seeing in the economy. And uh, we're seeing some of the slowest savings growth also because of that also. Uh, especially in the United States, when we had some stimulus check money sent out in the last few years, you know, over $3,000 to save the average American. And so now they're spending that uh, stimulus check money. And so credits uh, are not seeing as much savings as they would typically see in the past. And so liquidity, uh, not having enough, maybe enough cash in the vault to meet deposit withdrawals or to fund new loans. We're seeing some of the tightest liquidity that we've ever seen in the credit union industry with a lot of credit unions scrambling to find those deposits in order to fund all those loans that they're currently making. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but we saw some stagnation when it came to loans throughout the pandemic too, right? So, I mean, this is this is a little bit of a change from what we saw maybe in, in 2020 going into 2021. Yeah, there was a little bit of a slowdown. Uh, about 6% annual growth, uh, you know, normal is about seven. So it wasn't a big slowdown in lending, um, but uh, it did dip below normal, but it's really bounced back uh, for both effects. One, a lot of people are just spending. They're going out after COVID. They're doing those vacations now that they forego during 2020 and 2021 when COVID was uh, kind of running through the economy. And so people are, you know, doing the trips, going to the Grand Canyon, say, buying those airline tickets, buying the hotels, the restaurant meals. And so we're seeing say credit card balances growing very fast, but also auto lending is booming. Um, and it's really growing quickly here in the United States specifically because of pricing. Uh, banks have really raised their loan interest rates a lot faster than credit unions have. So we've got a strong competitive advantage right now. And so even you know, like new car sales are down because we're just not making as many new cars because of the supply chain disruptions we keep hearing about where they can't find those semiconductor computer chips. But we're actually, even though the pie is getting smaller, there's fewer cars being sold, we're getting a greater piece of the pie, if you will, because of the competitive pricing that credits still have and they still you know, are serving their customers with these really nice low interest rates on their loans. Are there any trends that you're keeping an eye on going forward through the end of 2022 or into 2023, even that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about right now in the credit union world? Um, well, one trend that we're seeing, of course, whenever you come out of a volatile period, be it a recession or a pandemic, we always see a pickup in credit union merger activity. And we're seeing that again today with more and more credit unions looking at the option to merge, especially you know, some smaller and medium-sized credit unions merging into larger credit unions. And that has ticked up quite a bit this year and we expect it to accelerate through next year. That always happens after every recession. We see a lot of credit unions reevaluating you know, how best to serve their members. And we're seeing more and more merges in the next couple of years. And that trend will continue at least through probably 2025. Yeah, we are obviously uh, uh, 
uh, aware of that on the world stage as well, where a lot of the smaller credit unions, you know, in certain countries just just have a hard time competing. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy and uh, we appreciate your insight. Yeah, thank you, Greg. And just a reminder, if you like what you heard today, you can find every episode of the Global Credit Union podcast by going to the newsroom tab at woku.org. We put out a new episode on the third Thursday of each month. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you get your podcasts. Until next month, I'm Greg Newman for the Global Credit Union podcast saying, remember to keep on serving your members.